Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sports for Dummies podcast. This is the podcast for you. Whether you know anything or nothing about sports, we are here to wrap up everything going on in the world of sports and have a laugh as always. Because actually, as we were recording the introduction today, we had bin men go past my window, so we had to pause it. But anyway, Hope, how are you doing? I was. I must say, I love our little introduction because we haven't planned for us to say every time, this is the podcast for you if you're a sports expert or sport. But we do, and it's a nice flow, and I really yeah. like it. It, it works. Good, it? it works nicely. It works. I was going to say as well, on top of like working nicely and flowing, I'm wearing my Christmas jumper. I know people listening can't see because it's a podcast. But I can see it. It is. It's a Liverpool Christmas jumper. Who's on there? That is Jurgen Klopp and Jordan Henderson. That is when we won the Club World Cup um, from 2019. So there you go. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know I love a Klopp. I know. And the question is, Hope, are you feeling festive alongside Klopp? Am I feeling festive alongside Klopp? Yes, well, because you said you love a Klopp, so I thought festive Klopp's a bit... Is he feeling that festive? Because I've heard him say that in January, in transfer window, he's not taken anyone who's not had the vaccine. Well, this is... Well, I hope that is he that been, festive? You've been reading up on all the news. I, I don't know, I think... I have, I have... I agree with his point, regardless of what you think about the vaccine. I think he, he's, his argument is actually very valid. Um, but equally, there are plenty of, play, plenty of footballers all over the world, in the Premier League and outside who have not had the vaccine. So it depends on how you look at it. But yes. Yeah, maybe it's a good decision. Although I have heard some people saying it's just an excuse for not signing anyone new and it's not the real reason. Well, that's probably one way of looking at it too because our owners don't like spending money, but that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) That's a story for another day. Uh, Lewis, I've noticed that you're back at your mum and dad's now. I am indeed. I'm back home from university. Had a bit of a mare though when I came back. It looked as if I could, well, I didn't, but a a close person of mine nearly got COVID. So it all got very tense. So I was in isolation for five hours and it looked very, very scary. Thankfully, no no positive tests, all fine. But I had to isolate when I got home until um, they got their result. And in the end, it was all okay. But flipping heck, Hope, it was an absolute faff. Oh, it's getting a bit crazy again now, isn't it? Well, it's actually not crazy again. It's getting crazier than it ever has been. Yeah, it, yeah, it is getting crazy. Although we, we're going to come on to that because we're, we're going to talk about COVID today. But the opening Spoiler. story... Spoiler! Oh, there you go. Sorry to disappoint. But the opening story for today we're going to discuss, Hope, is, of course, the Alexandra Palace darts. Right. Uh, that is such disappointment. I've never heard somebody <laughs> sound more <laughs> let down in their life about the topic we're going to discuss. Well, um, that, but, but, let, right, like, let's just say, as a, as a dummy in this situation... <laughs> Snooker and darts are have got a bad reputation as being the most boring sports 
to observe. I agree with snooker. There is no denying snooker is boring. But when you watch the darts on the telly, Hope, and people are all going, and you see lads literally pouring beers, like like huge jugs of beers over their heads because people get nine darters. It's absolute scenes. People dress up, fancy dress. I went two years ago. Did you know that? I went to the darts in 2019. I'm not surprised. Yeah, me and my dad went as Batman and Robin. There you go. But no. Who was was Robin? I was Robin. He was Batman. Of course. (laughs) But no. It, it, the thing is hope right there's this pre and this is breaking down for the dummies there is this preconceived idea that the darts is this boring sport for old men and that's partially true but equally it is just loads of fun it's one of the most easy sports to follow it requires literally no it, it, there's no level of course playing is technical but there's no technical knowledge needed to understand the game it literally is the most basic game of sport a sporting game i could name you because all it requires is hitting uh, an X, a Y, and a Z effectively in different ways and scoring different points. It's really not that complicated. And darts is constant throughout. So whether you're here, whether you'd be in, I don't know, somewhere else around the world, the we, we can do a breakdown of, of darts if you'd like to at some point. We can do a full Sports for Dummies breakdown and analysis of the game of darts. From the sounds of it, that would be a very short episode. Yeah, it would. It wouldn't take long. So we, I literally... <laughs> Both players have a score of 501 and you have to get down from 501 to zero. But, so does that make sense? You get three darts, right, to throw at the board and the highest score is 60. So there are doubles and triples on the board. So you basically work backwards. So instead of it saying football, you goes 1-0, 2-0, 3-0. Imagine both teams were at, say, 10-10 and you had to score 10 goals to get to zero. A little bit like that. So That's weird. To, it is, yeah, you get go to a target of zero. I know it's a bit confusing, but anyway... Been loads of fun. It's the darts is back on at the Alley Pally. Um, it's been amazing. Alley Pally. I like the Alley Pally name. It is fun. Alley Pally is fun. But it's great. Literally, all the you know, all the lads and girls go to. Loads of people go down with their mates. You all dress up. You have a good time. When I went home, it was very, very funny. Like the entire night from start to finish. It's just, it's just absolutely, it's just an absolute laugh. It's absolutely bonkers. There were these lads that were wearing seagull outfits. They were literally <laughs> dressed up as these massive seagulls. And the joke of the night was, I mean, these boys must have had probably, I don't know, 10, 15 drinks between them. There were there's four of them. Every time they walked in, the entire arena would sing, have you ever seen a seagull down a pine? And I literally, I promise you, they'd walk in, drink it, leave straight away. And it was as if, it, it was just mind-boggling. These guys must have spent thousands, hundreds of pounds on drinks that night. And they didn't even they didn't even watch the darts. They spent half the time going to buy the drinks. <laughs> Do you think some people just go for the atmosphere rather than the actual game then? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I think some people go just for a laugh. And most people do, because a lot of people don't really care about darts and aren't necessarily big darts fans. It's just the atmosphere. It's a bit like if you go to the football as a neutral, because everyone's there together supporting the, effectively the same team. You know, it's the same players. No one's really got a, an agenda. So of course you meet some fans who are, you know, fans of a certain uh, player, or you might have a player who's from the same nation as you. So there might be some Dutch players or, you know, a player say from Ireland or Wales that you'd like that you follow them. Um, you know, if you're from that said nation, but in reality, most people are just going for the laughs. Why do you think darts has a got this reputation of being, although you don't want to admit there is a reputation that darts is quite boring in terms of a sport to watch. But the other question I've got is why is it not kind of valued or appreciated as much as other sports? For example, you don't really know any, I don't know any, any famous names who do dart, but I know famous names from F1. I know famous no, new, 
famous news, famous names from football. I know famous yeah. names from boxing. So, and that's not just me having kind of a preference. That is just because I don't think they're talked about. They're not as famous. No, I think so. To answer your first question, I don't, I see, I haven't heard many people describe darts as boring. I think the concept is that playing darts isn't that fun. But when you watch them, honestly, there is like real skill and precision, precision involved. It might not be the most, um, what's the word, physically demanding sport because there isn't a lot of moving. Obviously, you literally walk probably 10 paces and back to get your darts and then stand behind the next player and throw again. So there isn't a lot of physical activity involved. But I don't, I wouldn't say it's boring because actually the the crowd make it good i think if you, i was playing darts on my own i wouldn't find it that entertaining but watching these top pros who can hit 180s and, and like score massive numbers effectively and check out so finish their effectively their round of throwing in these amazing fashions like getting like a triple 20 triple 20 and then a bullseye or whatever it is is amazing so it requires it, it requires real skill it's not an easy thing to do at all um but I don't, I don't know. I think the reason hope why probably people don't know darts players is actually because there is not lots of money involved in darts. It's not a sport which is massively financially pumped, say like a football or an F1 or even rugby to an extent. There isn't that much money in darts in reality. And I think the truth is in, in the grand scheme, darts the most popular darts competition happens once a year, which is this one now. So that's the William Hill basically world championship for darts. That is once a year in December. Everyone knows about it that's a darts fan, or lots of sports fans do. But in reality, the, all the other competitions throughout the year are irrelevant. No one really... People do care if you're a darts fan and you follow darts as a niche sports, but in the grand scheme, they don't hit the headlines. Whereas this competition always does because it always like attracts people and draws people in. Um, but I think the fact that, say, football is an ongoing sport, F1 ongoing, all these sports which are kind of um seasonal whereas this is literally is just for effectively a small bit of the calendar has a massive impact on popularity this again is a a stereotype but i mean there might be some truth in it you know how like in a lot of sports especially like football for example there is a lot of kind of marketing of players or like let's take anthony joshua for example right yeah anthony joshua a sportsman but also does a lot of advertisements He's uh, known for being a hot man as well. So he's on yeah. all like, he can do a bit of modeling and what have you. You don't get dart players being marketed in that same fashion about their kind of physical appearance. And do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And that, that but then that might be about the money again. Yeah, no, that, that doesn't happen at all. You're right. But that's that comes back to, I guess, the, the idea of the physical sports. There are lots of darts players, though, genuinely, who are ripped. There's a guy called Gerwin Price. He is a, I think he's an, a, a former rugby player and he's a Welshman. He is absolutely enormous like he is huge obviously there are some darts players who are are quite big lads but i mean physically he's ripped i mean he's he's massive so but i i think there isn't probably that same pull like it's not you know and again it's a bit not you know it's a bit complicated to talk about but see anthony joshua fights in a ring with literally some small trousers on and some shoes whereas darts players (laughs) you know whereas darts players are wearing proper tops and then long trousers so it's not i guess that maybe has an impact i don't know but i i take your point i take your point they're glorified they're glorified they're sexualized yeah absolutely and you, and you know you see them in the dressing even footballers you see them in the dressing room you know saying great win or whatever and people post a photo of of their body and whatnot whereas you don't see that with darts players and that might that also i think is something to do with um maybe humility you might want to call it i don't know it depends on how you how you view it but very yeah very interesting conversation but anyway on the topic of darts if this doesn't exist already i think it needs to extreme darts where people do tricks like a flip throw the dart whilst you flip (laughs) or like throw it from your mouth i think that should be 
a, a niche that should happen. Do you reckon? And it could be in the Olympics. Extreme Strange. darts. Spelt with an X. No Extreme E. Extreme darts. Do you know what? There aren't, I'm trying to think of any examples that I've seen. Like lots of people have walk-in celebrate, like walk-in songs where they walk in and have a tune. Or when they win, say when they win a round or they win the leg or whatever, they'll have a massive celebration. They'll go mental. But I haven't seen any extreme darts. That would be interesting. Well, look, sports are amazing. You never know, people. You never know. We might we might get these up and rolling at some point. We did say about our sports day next year. So I think we might have to incorporate that. But obviously we'll have to pass health and safety first. So Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Fallon Sherrick, does that name ring a bell for you at all? <laughs> no. Okay, well, Fallon Sherrick, actually, we I think we spoke about her in oh, It's a lady. Yes, Fallon is a lady. So she is known as the Queen of the Palace at the Ali Pali. She created history on her last appearance in 2019. She actually became the first woman ever to beat a male opponent. So it was an absolutely huge My, he- my head's cocked and to the side. People can't right. see that, but my head's cocked because I'm like, wait a minute. Women and men can play against each other? Yes. So it's I'm sport. now a fan of darts. There you go. Oh, no, that's the thing too. <laughs> I think there is a misconception, Hope, which says that, you know, it is all a men's sport. And actually, that is not the case. It's just it's just one of those things that actually, um, I think there are lots of reasons maybe why women haven't qualified. Women have before, but they haven't done as well as Fallon has. And Fallon's an absolute legend. Unfortunately, she played last night's, that was Monday night, and she lost. Um, she lost 3-2 in a very close game against a man called Steve Beaton. Now, actually, Steve, very interesting fact about Steve. He was featuring in his 31st consecutive world championship. So, so he's maybe 30, which is very, very impressive. Um, it was a great game between them. Very, very entertaining. Shame that Fallon didn't, you know, come out on trumps in the end. But actually, equally, very good performance from her. Um, just disappointing and she didn't advance to the next round. So when you say 3-2, does that mean that they got their points down, but not as low as the other one? No. So how it works, Hope, is like this. So in the beginning rounds, you have you have legs and sets. So what happens is you basically get, you have to win three sets. So if imagine what's the best way I'm trying to think of the best way to do it. Okay, it, imagine in tennis, right? You've got sets and you've got points. The way that this works effectively is you have to score two well, three effectively, three major points to get one point. That probably sounds stupid, as in one set. So you have to get three legs to get one set. So how it works is you get three legs, you get a set, you get three legs again, you get a second set, you get three legs again, and you win because you have your third set. But she only got two. Correct. So she effectively got two sets and he he got three. That's it. In essence, he won overall. That was it. Does that make sense? So, but with that logic, if he went first, he could be three sets before she's three sets just because he went first in order. They alternate though everything. So every new set they swap. See, this is a, this is the insight you get on Sports Dummies podcast because I ask the questions that probably people are too scared to ask because they're scared they're going to look silly. Well, I don't care if I look silly. I ask the question. There you go. They also swap on some legs too, so that they, they they do swap. So it's not it's not that what, someone, they stay like hop a... they hop between left and right leg, do they? <laughs> yeah, they do it on one leg and then they shut their eyes. 
<laughs> but um, but no, it was it was a really it was a really good game. Shame, as I said. The other big news, hope from the darting world, was that Raymond Van Barneveld, which is a fantastic, fantastic name, Raymond Van Barneveld, he returned uh, back to the Ali Pali after a effectively retiring. Very interesting. Retired in 2019. He actually went out in 2019 in the first round uh, in the World Championships. The, that's the William Hill WDC is the name, which is the World Darts Championship. So he went. He, he lost and he called it quits. He said, "I'm not playing anymore." He actually reversed his decision in September 2020 and this year, so 2021 in February time, he got his card effectively to play and he qualified. He got enough points to make the tournament. Um, and so he, he won last night. He came back for his little comeback, you know, game um, and he won 3-0 over a man called Lawrence Igalan. And he is into the next round and will face 2018 former world champion Rob Cross. 3-0 is quite good. Yes. So, I mean, if you win 3-0, it's, it's a complete wipeout. If, if you beat an opponent, it'll either be that you've put in an amazing performance or your opponent isn't very good. And it's probably a mix and match of both. But Raymond, five-time world ex-world champion, he's an amazing darts player. Um, I suspect he will do well this tournament, but it's very, very exciting in the world of darts at the moment. Story number two, I hope we're going to move on to today, which is not the most exciting um, and it's something which has been all over the news and something which has been dampening a lot of people's minds at the moment up and down the country is of course COVID-19 and the possible step to whatever the next plan is but we're going to relate it of course to sports because this is Sports of Dummies the podcast for you which revolves around all sports so we're going to ignore all the negative stuff with wine and cheese boards and we're going to talk specifically <laughs> we're going to talk specifically about what's going on in the world of sports and possibly what is set for the future of England. So I mentioned earlier Jurgen Klopp's announcement. Are any other football team managers following suit? We don't know. No one. He he is one of the only managers who has been so open. When you listen to most most coaches, or even you can say pros to an extent, lots of people aren't comfortable with saying whether they've been vaccinated. Or equally, the managers aren't willing to say whether which players have actually got COVID. Everyone always covers it up and says. We've had three players return positive COVID tests, whereas Jürgen has been open from day one. He said openly which players have had it and that sort of thing. So actually fans know rather than the club kind of acting as if it's this big mysterious thing. Because we're all, we're all in this boat together, regardless whether you're Yeah, it's player. nothing to be embarrassed of. No, and it's just one of those things. But um, no, so to be honest, Hope, not really, because Jürgen is so open and, and talks very honestly. And a lot of managers don't do that, unfortunately. There isn't that kind of same rapport necessarily that they have with even the press. Um, and whether that's something that, I don't know. I, I don't know why that's the case, but Jürgen is just a very outspoken man. Oh, sorry yes. to jump around here, <laughs> but it is still related to, to what we're talking about in terms of COVID and sport. I know that in Wales, they are not going to be able to play um, outdoors it needs to be behind closed doors doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be in a, a hall where you have the squeaky floors i just mean that they can't have crowds and that, that is, could affect them yeah that is in fact hope you beat me to it because that is exactly what oh, we're about to come on. No, that's all right <laughs> that's what we're coming on to so of course, announced today in Wales, as exactly as you said, Hope, they basically said that from Boxing Day, of course, which for any listeners outside of the UK is December 26th, they're going to try and contain the spread of uh, Omicron. And that basically applies to any outdoor, indoor, pro or community sports events. So effectively, any any sporting event at all will be inside sorry, we'll be inside in the sense of being behind closed doors. So we'll not be open to spectators, which is a shame. Now, 
the first match affected is going to be the Cardiff United's rugby game against the Scarlets, who are another Welsh team. And then the next game, which is also affected, is Wrexham's football match against Solihull Moors. And from that point on, of course, all teams will then be affected. Um, yes. Is Wrexham the club owned by the actors? Ryan Reynolds, boom, you've got it spot on. That is exactly it. So they not, are, uh, not just Ryan Reynolds, the other guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, but no one, no, the trouble is, Hope, honestly, when you ask any football fan, no one remembers. So Ryan Reynolds and the other bloke. I've forgotten <laughs> his name as well and I love him. Yeah, yeah is that Ryan Reynolds and the other one? Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that that's happening. And it's, I mean, it's disappointing. You know, the owner of the Welsh Grand National, that happens at a place called Chepstow, has basically come out and said that actually... It's a real disappointment. You know, they've sold just shy of 6,000 tickets for their event, which is about to happen. Now, bearing in mind, tickets cost £35 each and they've sold 6,000. So as, as the person said, you can do the maths. On top of the fact they've sold... Can we, t- Lewis? Can we? <laughs> no, but... <laughs> but you listening at home, feel free. <laughs> yeah, you can sit there and use your calculators. They've also sold 800 hospitality packages between £80 and 120 So in the grand scheme... That money is absolutely extortionate. And I think it it puts into perspective as well, we are effectively, unfortunately, going back to what was last year for a bit of the season and the year before with everything going on in terms of fans being there and they're not being there and they're being there and they're not being there. So hopefully this won't last too long. But the fact is, it looks as if Scotland might also follow suit as well. And they're going to cancel all major sporting events for fans too, which is just a real shame. And, you know, the Spectator Sports Fund has announced that three million pounds will be available to those clubs affected in Wales at the moment, which is great because that's still some money, but it's never the same as, as tickets. It's also never the same as a fan going. And I think I can, I understand. And again, we don't need to get political about this to talk about kind of the ins and outs of that. But when you look at the, kind of the infection rates in Wales and kind of the logic behind this, the fact it's an outdoor venue. I understand that football is a massive place where COVID can spread absolutely. And there's lots of different places, like say, even on the turnstiles or going in, you know, on the walkways, the gantry, wherever. There are places that COVID can spread, of course. But when, you know, there isn't currently, of course, the, the rate is rising in Wales. Mm-hmm. They have 550 cases per 100,000 people, which is less than 1%. And the fact that all sporting events are effectively being behind closed doors, to me, is completely illogical. Now, I don't, you know, that's not to be political in any way. That is simply that the numbers, to me, don't match up to what is actually going to happen. And I can see why, logically, they want to avoid the spread entirely. I completely get that. But I think shutting fans off entirely doesn't, of course, it solves the issue to an extent. But then part of me still thinks, and again, we don't need to get political because it's complicated, but then part of me still thinks so let's say this lasts three weeks and then they introduce fans again well that doesn't really solve any yeah what's the point it doesn't solve any problems yeah in my opinion unless you're doing a full lockdown none of these little things are really going to have an impact it's like no. here here in england at the moment there's there's talk of oh they might start shutting pubs at 8 p.m or they might it's like or they might stop the households mixing unless you do everything those little things aren't actually going to have the real impact. No, and that's exactly it. And the, the talk of the town at the moment in the UK, especially, or and in England, I should say, is of course, so Scotland like they're going down. Wales are done. No one, no one's really sure about Ireland yet. We'll have to wait and see. And Northern Ireland too. England, on the other hand, of course, the Premier League has come out and said that no games are going to be cancelled. That's the current talk. No games are cancelled for the foreseeable future. Whether that actually remains the case say, in two, three weeks time remains to be seen. Equally, the way that things are going, I cannot see fans being allowed in stadiums for very much longer, if I'm honest. I think, and, and it's a shame, it's a real shame, but hopefully, 
I would rather sport than no sport. And I would rather see it continue than be completely called off and plugged, you know, from the drain. But I would also be gutted because I have hundreds of fans and, and, and sorry, mates who support different clubs who are. You've got loads me. of fans, have you? You very popular, Lewis. <laughs> sorry, I've got, I've got loads of different mates who support support different clubs, and they are fans of different clubs. And they had bought tickets to all sorts of games over Christmas time in January. You know, when you're back with your family, say. And they're not going to happen. Or if they do happen, it will be a limited capacity. And it then goes into this whole faff hope of back to you have to put your name forward to a ballot and you get 10% of your club's capacity can go. And you have like, you know, what looks about 15 people in the crowd. So I don't know. I mean, it's disappointing. It is very disappointing. But hopefully, um, whatever does happen, there is a positive outcome from this. And the good news is that all fans are united in the sense that people don't want to leave the football, of course. Um, but as you said, I would agree with you and say that I think if anything needs to be done, you either call it all off or you don't, because this whole in-between mm. thing just doesn't seem very logical to me at all. But anyway. I'm also quite concerned about the whole of well, the whole of the world, mental health, really, because of all mm. of this. And actually, having that, having the sense of normality that people go into these sporting events has provided will be a massive boost for people and a lifeline. And having that taken away again could be really detrimental, which sounds a little bit dramatic, but it's true. No, I don't I didn't think it's dramatic in any way. I think that's really accurate. I have mates that kind of live and breathe football and go to every single home and away game. And if that's taken from them, then their livelihoods are gone. And it, but also it's not just football. It's going out to the pub to socialise or in all these things. And again, we're not here to comment on kind of how you reduce the spread of COVID. And I'm not here to lay out an action plan for the, for the UK. We are not scientific boffins. No, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, we're not here to tell England what they need to do. But to turn around and just go, right, this gone, that gone, that gone. It's like, well, actually... Where's the logic in that? I understand that this thing is spreading rapidly, faster than we can ever imagine, and that hundreds of Premier League players equally have got it. You know, this week, I think there are 90 positive cases were returned or something in the last round of testing, which is not good at all. But equally, that that doesn't mean to say that you have to just pull the plug, which the Premier League haven't done for the, for the you know time being. But whether that changes, we'll have to wait and see. I think it's just disappointing, Hope, as you've said, because it it felt like we were, you know, we were on up. The trajectory was flying high. We were skyrocketing. And now it's kind of been like someone effectively has pulled <laughs> pulled the batteries out of our pretend rocket ship and it's now plummeting out of the sky isn't a bit like how it is so we've actually got something a bit different today we actually managed to get an exclusive interview with footballer goalkeeper Michael Johnson from St Albans, City's number one. Now, I want to say to everyone listening, this interview took place last week. So that would have been the 14th of December. So the week prior. To let everyone know as well, for anyone that's kind of listening in the future, Michael Johnson is the St Albans goalkeeper. For this, this is for people in years to come that have decided all of a sudden on a long desert island, they want to listen to sports for dummies. Yes, Michael Johnson is the goalkeeper of St Albans. He's been pivotal to their success this season. St Albans have been on a great run pretty much all season. He is one of the absolute main factors of that. A great, great goalkeeper, even better guy with a fantastic story. Before anyone listens, let's give some context around it. His towel, he basically had a special towel that was stolen. So he had this towel, his FA Cup game against Forest Green. Fans fled on the pitch after this amazing win. And his towel was stolen. And actually, his he basically calls it his special towel. Since having the towel, he went... Yeah, it's quite funny, isn't it? He went 16 unbeaten. So St. Albans went 16 unbeaten. They were in amazing form. The following game, after once his towel was stolen, 
they lost and Michael Johnson got injured. So there was all this talk saying about giving his towel back and that sort of thing. And in the end, actually, he got presented with a new towel. But I'm going to save that all for the interview. Now, I'm talking today to St. Albans City's number one, the man between the posts, Mr. Michael Johnson. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Glad to hear, mate. I'm very well, thank you. I'm all good. I'm glad to be talking. It's good to get this all arranged and sorted. It's been a busy couple of weeks ago. I know it's been very, very intense, very exciting schedule for you. Um, question for you to kind of kick things off. What have your thoughts been on St. Albans' season so far? Uh, so it's been... Oh, good question. Probably a mixed bag, which you think would be surprising as an answer, but we started off pretty slow, lost a couple, a lot of first two games we lost um, to teams that we thought we'd be in and around. Uh, then we had to kind of reinvent ourselves a little bit, pick up the belief again. And obviously then 16 unbeaten was superb. We were flying high. Uh, FA Cup first round win as well. Um, and obviously I got injured, so, so personally not ideal. Um, and the team hit a bit of a dip of form. Um, which could be expected after going 16, 16 games unbeaten. Um, so, yeah, hopefully the last couple of performances are going to get us back on track, two 3-0 wins. Hopefully it's that up another run. Absolutely. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy 16-game run. I certainly, you know, I know you mentioned there about the Forest Green game, so I'm going to ask you personally, how did that feel when the final whistle went for you? I mean, it was absolute scenes. I was there at Clarence Park. It was unbelievable. What was that like, fans flooding on the pitch? Oh, it was amazing. That's easily the best highlight of my career so far. Um, nothing really comes close to that. Um, and I've had some good times in my career, but that that would top it. Um, and to be honest, I wasn't. it wasn't so much a surprise because I, I had a feeling that we were going to do well in the game before. I was, I was saying to the boys on the coach that just had a, had a good feeling turning up at the ground and that we were going to do something good. Um, I'd say... Just relief, because it did feel like we were hanging on the last five minutes. So, yeah, probably relief more than anything that the whistle went. Yeah, and you, I mean, you played brilliantly, and obviously you've played an absolutely pivotal part in St Albans' like, success this season in the FA Cup. So a massive congrats to you for that game. You briefly mentioned there too, I'm very interested to talk to you about this kind of the, the headline of what's been going on in Michael Johnson's career at the moment. And I know certainly hit the BBC headlines. That was huge. Your towel. I mean, an absolutely bonkers story. It really couldn't make up. Just an absolutely bizarre thing. Can you tell us a bit more about that and kind of what happened? Uh, yeah, so... Um... After we lost our first two games, I'm, I'm quite a superstitious goalkeeper in terms of having rituals and, and doing certain routines. Um, and I just thought, well, I didn't play very well in the second game of the season. A couple of goals are my fault. And I just thought, well, maybe we should just change something. So I, I brought this towel along the football that I'd found. I think it was on a, on a lad's holiday uh, in lost property. And I didn't take a towel with me. So I just I used that one um, and then just brought it back in my bag instead of leaving it like a normal person. Um, I thought, oh, I'll just bring that. It's a football towel. Take the Milan. I'll bring it. Cool. Um, and then we went on a 16-game unbeaten run. Um, and obviously took it to the Forest Green game. Uh, final whistle's gone. Pitch invasion. We've got inside afterwards, and I've realised I've left it out there. Went up to the goals to get it, and, and it's obviously been taken. Um, and then obviously put a tweet out as a joke, by the way, afterwards. Um, it was a joke. On I think it was the Tuesday we had Hitchin um, and some of the squad players were playing a friendly um, and I kind of got egged on to tweet saying that if anyone's got a towel, return it. And 
cool. I think I left my phone for two hours and I come back, it had absolutely blown up. And it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and until we got to here. It's unbelievable. I mean, it was just a crazy story seeing it come out in the news and kind of seeing the screenshots and people going wild on Twitter about it. It was, it was quite funny. Probably the most bizarre footballing story I've ever seen in my life. What did that mean to you when you came off and realised, you know, actually that you had to put a defender in goal? How did that feel? Uh, not amazing, to be fair, uh, but probably probably more worried about the pain that I was in in, in my hamstring. Um, but it, it did cross my mind before getting to the ground. I, and I, I got there really early. because I, I go straight from work on a midweek because I work um, in London, so he's just to go straight to the ground. Um, and I just, I, I had a feeling like that my legs were a bit tight um, and I actually was going to go and get a rub off the physio because I was there that early. And then I, I decided I'd, I'd just wait and just sit in my car and wait for everyone else to turn up. Um, and yeah, it's something, it just, it just felt a bit off the whole night. Um, and obviously that happened 10 minutes in. Um, I did. I did actually say I was going to try and carry on until I until I stood up and I fell back down again and realised that was probably the end of the night for me. Um, but then come out and watch the rest of that game and, and Tom was brilliant. The boys were brilliant. Second half and to be fair, I don't know how we didn't win the game, let alone lose it. No, it was a brilliant shift, especially from Tom. And it's a real shame that that happened to you, of course. And, you know, actually the fact that that impacted you later for the FA Cup second round, which we'll get to in just a second. But yeah, how was rehab for you, I guess? Obviously being a goalkeeper, what, were the pro what was the process you went through sort of sorting out your hamstring? And thankfully it wasn't too bad. I know you were only, you were only injured for a couple of weeks and actually it could have been a lot longer. Oh, 100%. Um, when I first did it, it felt like it was completely torn. Um, and the physios kind of obviously couldn't assess me straight away. Um, we kind of walked away thinking it was a grade two on the night, which is anywhere between two and I think it's two and three months. Um, so yeah, hamstrings, hamstrings aren't really something that you really play with because it, it's not just the healing, it's, it's the rehab and strengthening afterwards, which takes double the time. Um, but yeah, so obviously in terms of the plan, it was just, I rested for three days. Um, I was on crutches for three days. And then after that, it was straight into moving it um, stretching it in exercises that would make it feel uncomfortable. Basically, just constantly tearing it open and then letting it heal and tearing it open and letting it heal. Uh, it's the only way to fix it, which people find strange. People think that you should just rest it, but no, you, you've got to cause yourself more pain to get some gain, I'm afraid, yeah. Oh, literally is the saying there isn't it? no pain no gain that's a that's a real shame but actually thankfully I guess it didn't take you too long to, to return which is fantastic and how did it feel you know missing out on Bournemouth I know it'll be absolutely gut-wrenching for you it's a real shame but you know actually you know you were so close by the sounds to coming back from injury and playing in that match and of course unfortunately it didn't happen uh yeah I, I'd say so last year I missed out on the game on TV against Bishop Stortford um and that night I was I was quite distraught um because, but I did a I did a fitness test on the day of that game and failed it at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, whereas this one, I, I played on the Saturday before the Monday for the B team. I played an hour, um, and I knew in in that game that I weren't going to be right. So it kind of gave me the weekend to digest it. And, and come Monday, all I was doing, like I do any other time I'm playing, is support the boys and, and do what I can. Um, obviously, gutting to miss out on it. I knew the feeling of missing out on a big game like that from the season before. So it was like nothing new. Um, if someone had said you'd missed the Bournemouth game and the Bishop Sportwood game on TV and the second round, but you'd play in the TV game and beat Forest Green, I'm, I'm, I'd take that compromise. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more 
happy that I had the experiences that I have than upset that I didn't get more of the experiences that I didn't have. So yeah, a bit grateful. Yeah, really. Thank you for that. It's really interesting and very like very eye opening actually to hear that. Actually, I guess it kind of softens the blow, doesn't it? That you went and actually played in that enormous game that everyone will remember for the rest of time. Certainly, an absolute classic down at Clarence Park. So I guess that does kind of soften the blow of you not being able to play in the Borenwood game. Of course, that would still hurt as a player. There's no there's no denying that. But you know, you did return to action last night against Hartford in the Hart Senior Cup. So how did that feel returning after a couple of weeks and um, playing with the boys? Obviously, getting a three 0 win. Yeah, how did that feel going back in between the sticks? Uh, great, obviously. Um, I would say it was probably more nerve-wracking um, for the first 10, 15 minutes than, than exciting um, because you're always worried that you're going to do it again or something might go wrong. Um, so I was quite concerned for the first 10, 15, but once once you get back into the swing of it and, and you put a bit of trust into your body and, and all the exercise and time that you put in to make yourself strong again, uh, it becomes enjoyable and that like how it used to do a month ago which doesn't seem like a very long time but when you do the same stuff day in day out and, and you can't really run or anything you, yeah you appreciate every second on the pitch just a little bit more yeah that's a really awesome answer and I love that as well actually that you know after being for a couple of weeks out you know coming back and then actually playing in a game and winning as well I'm sure that's a great great feeling and actually that feeling really that even though you've had this injury, which looked awful at the beginning and you were really worried about, actually turned out to be all right. And in the end, now you're here talking about it, which is fantastic. So I'm really, really glad to hear. And what are your hopes for the rest of the season for St Albans? What are you hoping, yeah, for the rest of this season? Uh, no different than the start, which is I want to get playoffs, if not challenge, challenge for the league and, and get promoted. Um, anyone that doesn't say the same answer shouldn't really play football we should want to play to succeed and win things and obviously we've got the trophy still which I'd love to get to Wembley I said I said um to a local journal in the last season when it got curtailed that I felt like this year we could go on a cup run in both cups and and do well in the league and it's, it's looking like it's going to go that way hopefully touch wood we, we win on Saturday and get through to the last 32 of the trophy and then what your four games from Wembley so yeah and, and obviously it's a good distraction from the league um which we'll get full on eventually once we're out of both cups or whatever happens in the cups. Um, and then we've just got to keep picking up wins and, and three points and see where we end up at the end of the year. Thank you very much, Michael. That's awesome. We wish you all the best for both the league and the cups. And hopefully we'll be seeing, we'll be seeing the Saints lifting the trophy at Wembley in a couple of months' time. But yeah, really well done on this season. And again, massive congrats once again on that Forest Green game and all you've done this season because you've been an absolutely pivotal part in St Albans' success. So we wish you all the best for this season and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, mate. Thanks for your time. a lovely interview we're getting quite good at getting these guests on lewis aren't we i know we're doing really well i think as well that was nice too because it was a nice quick little interview just a quick update with michael you know of course when we had larone on that was a full in-depth conversation but actually you know with michael just a quick catch up it was like just a quick little chat so it was very very enjoyable he's an excellent excellent guy really nice to talk to Um, and we had some great time off camera as well kind of discussing uh, liverpool and just different things going on in the world of sport as well so that was fantastic and we wish st albans all the best for the rest of this season quickly quickly lewis just on the interview with michael important question i know that you bonded are you going to send him a christmas card Um, I wasn't planning to because I didn't get his address, but I will send him a text message. Right. Okay. There Just checking that you're keeping our guests happy. Do you know what I mean? Of course we are. Of course we are. Always hope. This Sports Dummies podcast is a smile 
on everyone's faces as always so that's exactly what we aim to easy do. <laughs> final episode possibly hope next week big stuff episode 10 i can't believe it series two gonna be done I know, and the best news, Hope, genuinely, is we've timed it perfectly just before the new year, so our listeners will get a wrap-up. Ahead of the new year and ahead of our newest series, which will be Series 3, if you are involved in sports at all, maybe you have a company, um, maybe you have a small business that you're just trying to get off the ground and you would like to collaborate with us, we would love to hear from you. So get in touch, sportsdummiespodcast at gmail.com. And that's also where you can get in touch if you want to come on for an interview or you just want to tell us what you thought of this episode. You can also listen on all streaming platforms uh, where you get your favourite podcasts. And if you fancy leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be really helpful for us and we would love you forever. So please go and do that. Thank you very much. Yours sincerely, Hope and Lewis. And as they say in the world of darts, 180! Obsessed. Podcast Network.